0: Hello, storytellers, and welcome to episode six in the series on how to tell a story. In this episode, we're going to look at the element of vivid language. This is so important, and it's not difficult, but it's constantly overlooked. I mentioned in the elements that when we talk about vivid language, we must remember this rule. Use your senses, all five of them, which means you're going to make your audience see, hear, smell, taste, and touch or feel the story. Think of it this way. Your goal as a storyteller is to take your listener, your audience, your reader on a transformational journey from an undesired before state through a series or let's say an adventure that encounters a series of obstacles that are overcome and finally to a desired resolution desired by the person that you're talking to or that you're relating the story to. So, think of this image. Let's say you were driving a tour bus and you were taking people on a sightseeing tour of a place they had never seen, they had never visited before. You were driving. The only thing is that you kept... Shades closed or covering all of the windows in the bus. So they couldn't see anything outside of this bus. The journey would be very frustrating for them. That's exactly what happens when we give a presentation, we tell a story, we deliver a message, and all we use is head language. What do I mean by head language? Any language that's conceptual, that communicates an idea, but doesn't express anything that we can see, hear, touch, smell, etc. The senses are not involved. This often happens when business people... Uh, start using the jargon of their business. Network marketers are really guilty of this a lot. There's a certain language in network marketing, expressions like downline, duplication, a binary system. They talk about uh, achieving cycles, about the legs in your team. All of these things mean nothing to the person that you're talking to unless you paint a vivid picture that relates to something in their world. Let's give you a couple of really basic examples. If you're talking to someone about a weight loss solution and you have a marvelous product that can help them achieve weight loss, it's not enough to say, look, this product will help you achieve rapid, safe, permanent weight loss. It's good for a start, but it's not a sensory image of any kind. What language should you use? Well, first of all, you should get to know the person that you're addressing specifically and then choose the language to suit that person's wants and needs. The more specific you are, the more you're going to relate to them. So let's say that we're talking about Mary And Mary wants to lose 15 pounds in a month because she doesn't like the way she looks and in one month her only son is getting married and she's going to go to the wedding and she wants to look great. Well, instead of using the jargon that we used before, we paint a picture for Mary and say, Mary, imagine that after using these products, what you will feel like in one month when you walk into your son's wedding reception. He sees you and he has a huge smile on his face because his mother looks so beautiful in that sleek black dress that right now only fits on a hanger. Another one that's really misused Again, network marketers, but not only network marketers, but marketers in general, talk a lot about an opportunity that can create time freedom. Time freedom has become a worn out uh, phrase, it's become jargon. People hear it so often that it loses credibility. Besides, it's general. Time freedom doesn't mean the same thing for everyone. If you're talking to a single mom, then you might say something like, imagine what you'll feel like. I won't even, I won't even repeat that because I used feel like in the past one. But imagine what your life will be like when you can spend the entire day with your children experiencing those beautiful moments as they grow, walking with them in the park, watching them laugh, talking them through their problems, instead of having to drop them off in the morning and leave them with strangers all day long and while you slave in an office at a job that you can't stand. That time freedom is really important to that particular person. I know of a real example of a person who was very successful in network marketing, and this is what time freedom ended up meaning for him. He got to a point where he was earning so much money that if he didn't work, the money still kept coming in. His father became very ill, and for two months. He could not work. He was out of town, away from where he lives, and in the hospital in another city, in another state where his father was. He was able to be by his father's side until his father passed away. That's a very important event in a person's life. If he were trapped in a job, He may have had, well, no, he didn't. He would have had to ask for time off, and he might not have gotten it. And that would have been horrible to know that a loved one is suffering and you can't be there for them. That kind of time freedom has an emotional impact that can't be, well, you can't possibly adequately describe it in conceptual head language. So if my prospect is a person who's concerned about elderly parents who live in another city, another state, and perhaps not being able to be there for them, I would relate this story about my friend, and I would do it in terms of, well, I would paint a picture to say, my friend was so grateful that he could be sitting there uh, around the clock, hold his father's hand when his father uh, needed comfort, in the morning when his dad opened his eyes, he was able to look into his father's eyes and smile at him. He was able to kiss him on the forehead. He was able to be there with him when he took his last breath. That kind of imagery... uh, You can't really communicate that with cold, conceptual language. You can try, but it will miss the most important element, which is emotion. Whatever enterprise you're in, whatever you're selling, whatever the message is that you're delivering, you can start by writing on a piece of paper the main problem you're going to solve, the main pain that you're going to take away. And you can do it in head language first, just to get an idea of what it is. But then you must translate it into vivid sensory language. Remember, you are painting a picture. You're showing a movie to your listener to your audience, a movie in which that audience member is actually the central character. To use another image for you, let's just specifically talk about being in a movie theater. Imagine if you went to see an exciting movie, a wonderful film. You knew it had beautiful locations. It was very adventurous. It begins, but the only trick here is that all you can do, you can only hear the sound. You hear the music, the soundtrack, the dialogue, but the screen is black. You can't see it. You would not experience that story. This is the same thing that happens to your listener when you talk to them only in conceptual, non-sensory language. I can't drive this home enough. Let's look at a couple of examples from good pieces of fiction. One of them is a short story called The Fly. But no, it's not the sci-fi story about The, um, the Fly, which was a great horror film. This is a very short story by an author named Catherine Mansfield. This is how the story opens. You're very snug in here, piped old Mr. Woodfield. And he peered out of the great green leather armchair by his friend the boss's desk as a baby peers out of its pram. One sentence. But you can see that. You can see this man sitting in a great green leather armchair and the image of a child peering out of his pram, or his carriage, is something that you can easily visualize. That is good use of vivid language to tell a story. In a previous episode, in the one on how to open a story, I used an example from John Franklin's powerful book, Writing for Story. And I'm going to go back to that same story This, by the way, is a short story, but it's based on actual events that happened. To refresh your memory, these are the clinical uh, conceptual facts. A woman named Mrs. Kelly was very sick. She had a brain aneurysm that was life-threatening. A brain surgeon came in to save her life. He did surgery. He failed. She died. Those are the cold facts. They don't jump out at us. They're asking us to paint the picture, to vividly experience this tragedy. Now, this is a sentence. Remember the oh yeah, the story, the title that John Franklin gave it as Mrs. Kelly's monster, and the monster refers to the aneurysm that lives in her brain. It's great because he begins to flesh it out to actually describe it with images that are creepy and very vivid, and so we can begin to really imagine what that monster in that person's brain is like. This is a short section during the actual surgery. The monster, by microscopic standards, lies far away, above and back in the rear of the head. Dr. Ducker was to face the monster itself on another day, not now, not here. But clearly, These tangled veins, absent on the X-ray films, but very real in Mrs. Kelly's brain, are tentacles of the monster. Imagine that. You can see uh, a creature, like a sea creature, with long tentacles reaching out, and these tentacles are going to engulf Mrs. Kelly's brain and kill her. That is an unforgettable image. That is the sense of sight. And now, this is brilliant, gingerly, the tweezers attempt to push around them. Pop, 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 pop. That's incredible. I'm actually going to make the sound instead of saying it. The words themselves are sounds. But imagine that you can, while he's working with his tweezers, you hear this, inside of someone's head. Do you see what I mean? That three-dimensional image, I hope it makes you cringe because it should. When you can get a visceral reaction from your audience, then you're getting to a place where you're touching their emotions and you're in a position to help them transition from a place or a state that they hate to one that they love. Isn't it an amazing thing if you begin to play with this, the power that you have to impact lives? Yes, it'll help you to make more money, but you'll be helping people to grow, to expand, to learn, and to you'll, you'll, you'll be enriching them. Isn't that worth the effort? Of course it is. Practice. Write a bunch of sentences that relate to things that you're trying to communicate, write them first in head language, then translate them into the language of the senses, using as many of the senses as you can. And always to give you a kickstart into this new habit that you want to form, ask, how can I change my story and change my life?